0: Good morning, welcome, glad that you are here if you're joining us online, glad you're joining us online as well. Um, I'll tell you up front, my voice is almost gone today and I'm not sure why. It's been great singing bass this morning, but um, but, uh, I don't know what's going on, I, I think finally my voice is changing, so that's a good thing, been looking forward to that for a long time. But uh, if you'll give me a little grace and patience, we'll get through this this morning, I'm sure. We have been talking about, you know, some things that those first century Christians have voted themselves to in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I want to spend today and the next couple times we get together talking about the fact that they were devoted to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, and this morning, I want to talk about that in the context of a book that I read several years ago now, a book called Deep Down Dark. And you might not be familiar with that book, probably not, but I bet you do remember the event that that book chronicled. It was in 2010 when 33 miners from the country of Chile were trapped in the mine, half a mile beneath the surface of the earth. Remember that? For 69 days, these 33 men are trapped in that mine. Uh, A giant stone twice the size of the Empire State Building came crashing down and, and those men were trapped underground. And they understood that the chance of rescue, the chance of survival was pretty slim. In fact, an expert at the time suggested that the chance of those men being saved was about 2%. So these men knew they are staring death in the face. And they begin to take stock of their lives. And what they found was they had some regrets. And then a kind of amazing thing happens to those 33 men. They, they, they understand that one of these guys, a guy by the name of Jose Henriquez, was a follower of Jesus. And so they asked this man, would you pray for us? We need somebody to pray for us. So there, this trapped miners, this one man kneels down and begins to pray, but he starts his prayer in kind of an odd way. He begins his prayer this way. We aren't the best men, but Lord have mercy on us. Kind of a strange way to start a prayer. We aren't the best men, but Lord have mercy on us. And then he actually went on and specifically detailed why they weren't the best men. He said in his prayer, Victor knows that he drinks too much. And Juan is much too quick to anger. Pedro thinks about what a poor father he's been to his daughter. And nobody's offended by this. And and something amazing begins to happen to those 33 men trapped in that mine. Something is kind of born there. They're a half mile underground. They're trapped in what the author of the book calls the deep down dark. They, they get together. They're there for 69 days. They get together and they sh- you know, share every day a little bit of food, just some tuna is what they had, and, and some cookies that they were trying to make last, a little bit of oily water. That, that's all they had. And they listen as Jose every day, tells them stories from the Bible. In fact, they start calling him El Pastor, and he tells them stories from Scripture they worship together, they pray together every single day, they confess their, their faults and their shortcomings to God, and then that sort of morphs into them just spontaneously confessing things to each other. They say, would you forgive me for the way that I spoke to you last month? Would you forgive me that I, that I raised my hand in anger against you last year? Would you forgive me that the fact that I didn't help very much trying to gather water yesterday. It's kind of extraordinary. And while all that is going on, unbeknownst to those 33 miners, there's a rescue operation going on at the surface, way up above. And it started with just eight other Chilean miners. It eventually became almost a worldwide uh, uh, effort, but these eight miners begin immediately this rescue operation. And they get together and and they're going to try to drill down to the miners who are trapped. And before they start, the, the foreman says, we ought to pray before we get started on this. So they take off their hard hats and someone else says, hey boss, we ought to hold hands. And so these eight burly Chilean miners are standing in a circle holding hands and they pray to God. And then they start to drill. And eventually they're able to drill a hole all the way down to where those miners are trapped. To start with, it wasn't a big hole at all. Just, just a hole big enough to get uh, flashlights down, food, water, some communication devices. And then they also uh, send down some iPads, believe it or not. iPads loaded with all the news about what's been going on. And what these miners learn is... People all over the world are following their ordeal. What they learn is they're famous. And they start to think, if we're so famous, there's a chance we might make some money out of this thing. (laughs) And at that point, something sort of amazing happened. And it's probably not very surprising. Them getting together every single day And worshiping stops. Them asking El Pastor to tell them more stories from the Bible, stops. Confessing to each other, stops. Getting together every day and praying, stops. Somehow the knowledge that they were going to be rescued and the knowledge that they were sort of famous... And there was some allure of wealth here somehow destroyed that community that they'd worked so hard to make. And they actually began arguing with each other about who was going to be the spokesman. And how were they going to divvy up whatever money was going to come their way and and how were they all going to profit from it equally? Now the book, The Deep Down Dark, it's not a spiritual book at all, but it does chronicle this this formation of community that these men form, and then kind of how it all unraveled so quickly. It really does talk about a, you know, a crisis of faith. In some ways, the very happiest part of their story was kind of the saddest part of their story because they were much more connected, much more community going on, in some ways even more content. When all they had was all they had. Now, that's the deep down dark. The deep down dark is a place or a time that unfortunately most of us are pretty familiar with. Or if you're not, you will be. You know, the deep down dark is that place where you find yourself and you're just kind of stuck. The deep down dark is that place where you find yourself and you realize, I don't have any control here. You know, we like to be in control. We like to feel like we're in control, but sometimes we get in a place where we realize, I have no control. I am completely trusting in God right now. I need God to show up right here, right now. You know, somebody you love diagnosed with cancer. Somebody who told you they would never leave, leaves. Someone loses their home. Someone loses their job. Someone loses their life savings. Someone's reputation gets shattered. You find yourself in the deep down dark. And I suppose that on some level, what we've all been living through the last year and a half, I guess we could kind of call that the deep down dark because it's really been crummy. But even on top of that, it seems to me that just recently, it seems like as a family here, we've had a lot of really bad news. We've had a lot of hurt. We've had a lot of heartache. We have two more memorial services planned today for good brothers who used to worship here with us. We've had loved ones who have got some really serious diagnoses from, from doctors. Have families that are in crisis. And we've been talking a lot about this, this 242 focus that we're kind of zeroing in on. Talking about trying to be devoted to the same things that those early Christ followers were devoted to. This idea that they were devoted to the fellowship. You want to know why those first followers of Jesus were devoted to the fellowship? They had to be. They had to be devoted to the fellowship. They needed each other. Well, they were in this thing together. It is real easy to romanticize what was going on in the early church. I mean, you read Acts chapter 2, and wow, that sounds great. That sounds something. I would love to be a part of that. you know, have everything in common, and it's so exciting. And then you read the very next chapter. And Peter and John are arrested, and they're threatened, and they're intimidated. Acts chapter 5, Aquila and Priscilla are struck dead. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death because of his belief in Jesus. Acts chapter 8 begins with Luke telling us that a wave of persecution came over the church. And they basically... chapter 9, we meet a guy named Saul of Tarsus, who is breathing out murderous threats against followers of the way, putting men and women to death... Those first followers of Jesus who were devoted to the fellowship, they were living in the deep down dark. They, they were devoted to each other because they were dependent on each other. This morning, I want to give you four kind of observations about this fellowship of the deep down dark. Because we all need it. And we all need to be a part of it. We all need to be extending it to, to other people. And here's the first. In the fellowship of the deep down dark, community, that is, being connected, is absolutely paramount. And we live in a time where people are networked and connected and linked in like never before. It's not uncommon for people to have hundreds or thousands of friends on social media. And yet we live in a time where More and more people are more and more lonely. Feel isolated. It's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Now, we've talked about this before, and we'll keep talking about it, by the way. We were designed for community. God made us to do life together. We suffer when we don't. We suffer when we isolate ourselves. Boy, we've seen that this last year and a half, haven't we? just been a ton, a ton of research done on this. Uh, People who who have isolated themselves, people who have no connection with anyone else are three times more likely to die early than those who have strong connections with, with family, churches, friends, some kind of community. In fact, there's a real famous study that says that actually even people who don't live very healthy lifestyles, people who are overweight, smoke, drink, eat all the wrong food, those kind of people, if they have really strong human connections, they live significantly longer than people who live a very healthy lifestyle but have no community whatsoever. So the takeaway is, you're already ahead of me on this, aren't you? French fries with some good friends. than eating cauliflower at home by yourself. Yeah, so there's something you can take with you, you know? Barbecue, Barbecue. there you go, yeah. See, we've been doing it right all along after, after all. Yeah. And, of course, it's not just true for our body. We're talking about our souls here. We're talking about our hearts, our well-being with God. I think Keith used this passage in his communion talk this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us be concerned for one another, to help one another, to show love, to do good. Let's not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more since you see the day of the Lord is coming near. I couldn't imagine trying to do life without my Christian brothers and sisters. I couldn't imagine it. And I've lived long enough to know that if I'm going to be encouraged by other people and if I'm going to have a chance to encourage others, I'm going to have to show up. I'm going to have to be intentional. Intentional. Uh, about putting in some effort to make community paramount in my life. Because sooner or later, we're all going to end up in the deep down dark. Sooner or later, we're going to get to a place where we need somebody else. And I keep telling you this. This group, these people that are sitting here with you this morning, I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when they're the ones who are going to sit in the hospital with you. And they're going to, want to be the ones who are going to knock on your door with a plate of food. And they're going to be the ones who are going to pray with you. And they're going to be the ones who are going to ask, and they're going to mean it. What can we do? How can we help? You know the number one excuse that people give for not getting involved in some kind of Community, not even getting involved in you know, a, a small group or, or any kind of, of um, connection. I don't have time. Guess what? Nobody has time. You know? We're all busy. We've all got a lot on our plates. Nobody has the time unless they make the time. Because um, one day, like I said, a crisis is going to hit. Your health isn't going to be what it is right now. Your situation is not going to be what it is right now. And you're going to find, wow, now I have all kind of time. But I don't have anybody to support me. I don't have anybody to lean on. I don't have anybody to walk along with me. And again, I really don't mean for this to be a downer of a sermon. But the deep down dark is coming. It just is. Let's just be honest. And the time to create community in your life isn't when you find yourself in the deep-down dark. It's when you're doing life. It's when you're living. In the deep-down dark, community is paramount. And just so you know, in the fellowship of the deep-down dark, people are problematic. I mean, let's just be real here, okay? People are problematic. Problematic. We would like to think, when I get into Christian fellowship, it's going to be perfect. Because everybody is going to be so great. Everybody's going to agree with me. Everybody's going to think like me. Everybody's going to make me feel good. And then I get into Christian community and I realize, wow, people are problematic. I want you to do something for me. I want everybody to, to look up at me right now. All eyes on me. I, you can go back to your phone in just a minute, but <laughs> just for a couple seconds, look at me. Do not look at the person sitting beside you. Look right at me. I want you to think about the person sitting beside you. Don't look at them. And if you can think in your mind, the person sitting beside me has some problems. If you can agree with that statement, look at me, don't look at them, I want a very subtle head nod, very subtle, it's not so subtle there, Gary, but okay, yeah, sure, that's what you're thinking, right, the person beside me has some problems, guess what, Catherine nodded too, so, just so you know, we all have problems, right? We all have issues. You know, we said we're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching as well. What did the apostles teach about people who are problematic? Well, the apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And then in the book of Romans, that same apostle is going to raise the bar significantly. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. How did Christ accepted you? Like the old song says, just as I am, with all my mess, with all my flaws, with all my problems, as frustrating as I can be, that's how Christ accepted me. And then in Romans, Paul says what will happen when we accept others as Christ accepted us. said when you can accept someone as Christ accepted you, what you're going to do, you're going to make God look good. God is going to be praised and glorified because of that. And again, I am not trying to make this sound so easy because it's not easy. I get that. If it were easy, everyone would do it. It's hard. You know, we we get into community with each other, and you get around people, and you think, well, they can be a little bit abrasive. We get into community with someone and say, well, I don't really like his politics. Or I don't really like her theology. Or, you know, they talk too much. He doesn't talk enough. They're uh, Cleveland Brown fans. You know, what do I do with that? You know, all these reasons why, you know, these people are difficult. They're, they're, they're abrasive. They're a little bit scratchy. Here's the deal. Christian community doesn't mean that we get just to hang around with really easy people. It means we get to hang around and, and do life with people that Jesus gave his life for. You know, Jesus said, "'Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also.'" It means we get to be with other people and Jesus. No, Jesus is is with us. And listen, if Jesus can accept someone like me, I can accept someone like you. That's because of Jesus. So in the fellowship of the deep down dark community is paramount. People are problematic. And here's the third observation. Honesty is non-negotiable especially in the church. Honesty has got to be non-negotiable. You know, we are really good at hiding, aren't we? We just are. We go to work, we put on a happy face. We come to church, we, we put on a holy face. How are things going? It's great. How's the family? Family's wonderful. All the while, you're living in the deep down dark. But we don't want anyone to know that. David famously wrote in Psalm 32 There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and all night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Do you ever get tired of putting on the happy face? Do you ever get tired of putting on the holy face? Do you ever feel as if your strength has evaporated like water on a sunny day? And You need to be honest with God. Not only do you need to be honest with God, but you need to find some brothers and sisters that you can be honest with as well. James tells us in James chapter 5, Therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We quote the second half of that verse all the time. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's how I learned it. We quote that all the time. We never quote the first half of that prayer, do we? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. We don't quote that. And the reason we don't quote it is that makes us uncomfortable. We don't like that. Because that's going to make, make it a situation where I'm going to have to be I'm going to have to be very vulnerable. I'm going to have to take off the holy face. I'm going to have to take off the happy face with some people. And notice I said with some people. Because this is something that takes some trust. And it takes some effort. You know, someone comes up and says, I have been assigned to be your accountability partner. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no. Nope. Asking to be someone that I know. And someone that knows me very well. And someone who can, as David said of Jonathan, someone who can strengthen me in the Lord. But we need that. Uh, You know, that's what those miners discovered in the deep down dark. They discovered that fellowship is paramount. People are problematic, that honesty is non-negotiable. And then finally, in the fellowship of the deep down dark, hope is non-perishable. I told you that those miners trapped down there for 69 days used to love for El Pastor to tell them stories from the Bible. You want to know what their favorite Bible story for him to tell was? Jonah and the whale. Anybody want to guess why that was their favorite story? Yeah, that was their story, right? And if Jonah could be rescued, well, maybe there was a chance that they could be rescued as well. You know, hope isn't some nice little option that we keep in our back pocket in case we run into a speed bump along the way. Hope is essential for survival. We can't survive without hope. Oh, we're all different. We get that. We don't look the same. We don't think the same. We don't act the same. But there's one thing that we all have in common, and we have in common with everybody else that we know. We desperately need something to hold on to desperately everyone needs something to hope for and to hope in the apostle peter wrote a letter we call it the letter first we call it the book of first peter but he wrote a letter to these christians who desperately needed something to hold on to these people that he's writing to they're living in the deep down dark in fact, 15 times in a relatively short book, he, uses a, he talks about suffering. He uses eight different Greek words to describe it. He writes a letter to try to encourage these people, to try to bring them hope. Here's just a little bit of what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even, through the, even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for your receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Long time ago, a little group of men get together and they listen as this other man teaches them. And they listen as this other man tells them stories. And no one's ever taught like that before. And then the authorities come along and they arrest this man. And they crucify him on a cross. And they put his dead body in a tomb. And they roll this big heavy stone in front of the tomb. And the tomb is sealed. And it looks like all hope is gone. It looks like the story is over. But way up high, unbeknownst to anybody else, there was a rescue operation going on. God was at work, God had a plan. And God's plan was to bring that dead man back to life. And through that resurrection, not just give him life, but give everyone who ever believes in him and obeys him life as well. Just to save and to rescue everyone who's ever experienced the deep down dark. To give all of us hope. Our hope is not in human circumstances. Now, our hope isn't that the girl might say yes or the school might accept this or the job might come through. Our hope isn't that our 401k, you know, expands. Our hope isn't even that the drill makes it all the way through the rock. Our hope is built on Jesus, the Christ, who was crucified on a cross for our sins who was resurrected back to life and who promises that if we believe in Him, that if we obey Him, if we follow Him, one day we'll be resurrected as well. One day I'll be resurrected. One day you'll be resurrected to live forever with Jesus. That's the hope that we cling to. This morning, if you find yourself in the deep down dark, let me remind you, Jesus is the light of the world. Let me remind you of the hope that he offers, the hope that we cling to, the fellowship that we get to enjoy together. Travis has a song that we're going to sing as a song of of encouragement. If you got anything on your heart that you need to share with your church family, we're going to invite you to come to the front here and uh, let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.